In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps where they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is the word of the Lord. G'day, I'm Peter. For those of you who haven't met me, I'll be reading Mark 4, 1 to 34. That's on page 709. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, 
Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. The people are like seed along the path. When the word is sown, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will to be given more, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first a stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable sh shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. God in his mercy has given us his word. Uh, it's a great privilege that we can spend time looking at it. If you were uh, tempted to close your Bible after Peter just read to us from Mark 4, let me encourage you to reopen it. Uh, if you're just passing through or visiting amongst us, again, you're very welcome. We're looking at uh, Mark's gospel, at least the first half of it, uh, in the lead up to Easter, uh, that we might better understand and appreciate who exactly Jesus is at that time of year uh, and be encouraged by it. Uh, but more than just a Bible open, uh, we need attentive ears, but also we need the Spirit of God to work. So let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that in your word is life and truth. And we pray now that as we come to your word, that you would take away from us the, uh, the distractions, the things that uh, we came perhaps to church with in our mind uh, that are taking us away from focusing on you. Father, help all our thoughts to be focused upon what you are saying. Father, we pray that your spirit would be at work powerfully this morning, taking the words off this page and writing it deeply on our hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that you would be transforming us by what we learn of you this morning. 
that we might bring you great, great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of all the descriptions of Jesus, a good teacher is perhaps the easiest to get broad agreement on. You know, many in Sydney would uh, kind of balk at the claims that Jesus is God or that Jesus is their saviour or that he's the Lord, but, but most would be happy to say, yeah, Jesus, I reckon he's a pretty good teacher. Uh, I chatted with a couple a few weeks ago. Uh, they really appreciated the, the good moral teaching that they'd received growing up. Uh, they loved Christian values and the, the kind of stuff that they, they felt had been passed on to them, uh, that Jesus had said, but, but they wouldn't have described themselves as trusting Jesus as their redeemer or anything quite like that. Uh, Gandhi uh, once uh, seriously considered embracing Christianity, the Christian faith. He admitted that though he couldn't accept that Jesus' death was in any way mysterious or miraculous, uh, but he did think of Jesus as a divine teacher. You know, he, he would admit that the Sermon on the Mount was really influential in, in shaping the way that uh, Gandhi's kind of non-violent uh, resistance uh, came about and brought such change in India. See, most agree, yep, Jesus, good teacher. But is he really listened to? Now, Jesus, good teacher, but you have to wonder, um, have people read what we just read in Mark 4? Uh, so Jesus is there, he's by the seaside, uh, and in verse 11 and 12, you might have been struck by, particularly verse 12, he seems to teach in a way that prevents understanding. You know, if he's such a great teacher, why does he do that? If he's such a great teacher, why is he worth listening to? Now, our constant question as we look at Mark's Gospel uh, is, who is Jesus? Particularly in that first half, Mark 1 to 8. Uh, and chapter 4 reveals to us Jesus, this great teacher, but he's a great teacher because he divides. Now, Mark is a gospel of action, uh, and this is the largest slab of teaching in Mark's gospel until you get to chapter 13, and it's here for a good reason. Okay, so in the flow of the story, if you've not been with us, uh, in the action-adventure that Mark has been writing, Jesus caused a great stir. So, in all his kind of healing and preaching, um, he's hardened some people against him. You know, his family want to shut him up because they think he's insane. Uh, Religious leaders want to kill him because they think he's an instrument of Satan. But at the same time, the masses love him. You know, they are flocking to him. 4 verse 1, he is so overwhelmed by the crowds, he's again by the sea and the crowd's so big, he, just, he has to get into a boat and just kind of push out a little way to get a little bit of breathing space as he teaches them. Yeah, Jesus has got significant enemies, but, but he rides this wave of popular support and that is why he needs to teach here and now. He teaches to clarify what the kingdom of God is. He teaches to clarify who's really in the kingdom. He teaches to divide. Because no one benefits from only listening to what they like. Even you and I this morning, we don't get any benefit from just flocking to hear Jesus. We get benefit from hearing the truth, even if the truth is painful. As we look at Jesus, this, this divisive teacher, I expect this morning that we will understand both his kingdom better and you will understand yourself better. He who has ears, Jesus says in 4 verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Two points I particularly want us to see. First, the truth about God's kingdom. And secondly, the truth about us. First, the truth about God's kingdom. The truth is, God's kingdom is long-term glory. 
Okay, so Jesus teaches this succession of parables uh, about the kingdom of God. Uh, and the common thread is this agricultural image, sowing and harvesting. But the common point is that God's kingdom is about long-term glory. It's not about instant success. So in verse 3 to 20, Jesus tells that, that parable of a sower uh, and this sower who has mixed success. So he, he scatters broadly, he throws out this, this precious seed he has. He seems kind of a little, you know, uncaring. He just kind of tosses it out there. It goes on, on path, on the rocky ground. It goes amongst weeds. But some goes to good soil. And he explains to the disciples, this isn't just a kind of good, you know, farming anecdote for when you get invited around to a dinner party. Uh, no, 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 this, this is actually about the kingdom of God. Uh, verse 14, uh, God's word goes out and though Satan is bound in verse 15, he still manages to drag the word from some. Uh, in verse 16 and 17, there are those who, yep, initial joy, they're really excited to hear the word of God, but when hard times come, so do they, they go. Another group in verse 18 and 19, uh, they get distracted by ease and comfort and worry. But the final group make it all worthwhile. Uh, in verse 20, you can see them there. Uh, they produce abundantly 60, 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown. You know, if you've got ears to hear, Jesus is teaching that his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is not measured by initial success, by initial reactions, but by long-term harvest. Now, in verse 1, the word he uses, uh, Mark uses for sure, it's actually the same word, uh, the shore is where the crowds are standing, it's the same word as uh, the word for soil that's used variously through the parable. That is, to this crowd who are flocking to the soil, to the shore, uh, he wants them to know, I'm not taken in by the fame. This kind of early excited response, that, that's not what it's interesting me. It's long term. Um, from verse 26, that next parable, Jesus explains the kingdom of God is like uh, the man scattering seed. And so after scattering, uh, and without this guy's insight, it just grows. Verse 28, all by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, until it is ripe for harvest. So if you've got ears to hear, Jesus is teaching how his kingdom, God's kingdom, grows unexpectedly. You read on in Mark's Gospel, and Jesus makes it plain that his kingdom comes through suffering it's not through miracles it's not through popularity it's not through power it's not the things that crowds love it's not the things of good times but hardship they need to see this crowd who've come for for pleasure that the glory is the future not now and his final parable is God's kingdom is like the mustard seed. From, from those tiny beginnings, it grows massively. Um, that smallest of seeds, if you, you're a little partial to um, you know, whole grain, your grain mustard on your beef, on your ham, you'll know just how tiny a mustard seed is. From that tiny, tiny little mustard seed, uh, it grows and the smallest of seeds ends up playing host to, to, to birds and wildlife. Now, if you've ears to hear, Jesus is teaching the inevitability that God's kingdom will grow. Yeah, that in, the, in, the, in the DNA of a mustard seed, from that very small start, it just has to grow to be this massive tree. There is an assurance for those who are there, standing on the shore, at the edge, glory will come. Yeah, he's teaching us about the, the long term of God's kingdom. Yeah, like seed in the ground, 
Jesus has come and he has penetrated this world. And one day it will come to a harvest in his glorious and great kingdom. But it is an instant success. Douglas Wilson tells a, a story of a rich farmer. Uh, and this rich farmer gets um, rebuked, told off by his neighbour. Uh, so he had his sons, this rich farmer had his sons out in the fields, working hard, working in the heat of the day, doing hack work. Um, and the neighbour thought, you fool, and told him to him you know, to his face, you know, what, what are you doing? Your sons, are, you know, they're management material, you know. What are they out there doing that kind of hard work? They don't need to do that sort of slog. There are other people who could do that. Uh, this rich farmer, um, his reply was, he wasn't just raising corn, he was raising sons. You know, like any parent, he understood that raising children is that long-term project, that the joy of parenting is, is not, you know, we had a pleasant morning one day at the zoo, but, but an adult life of responsible service, it's long-term, it's not instant success. You know, just like the kingdom of God. And that truth about the kingdom, that's quite divisive. Uh, you know, Jesus seems to do the kind of very opposite of um, a seeker service. You know, rather than trying to make it easier for everyone to come in and saying, isn't this fantastic and great, he actually is making it harder. You know, some who are there and are quite warm to Jesus and think, Jesus, we're, we're, we love you, we're flocking to you, they're going to be cooled. Uh, because they say, actually, it's, it's, it's long term, not, not instant. But if you've ears to hear that, if you've got the fact that God's kingdom is about future glory, it will change you. You know, if you've listening ears, you'll be faithful. You know, the farmer in that first parable, he, he just scatters his seed uh, liberally, even a little bit foolishly. You know, sensible farming, sensible sowing wouldn't, wouldn't hit the path, wouldn't hit the weeds. But this farmer doesn't worry about the results. He just says, I'll get the seed out there. Now, likewise, that sower in verse 26, he doesn't control the growth. He just has to scatter it. Yet when you know that God's kingdom is a long-term project. You, you don't worry about the end result. You just make sure people get the seed. You make sure they hear about the kingdom. I frequently get approached uh, about baptisms uh, by people, uh, baptism generally for their children, by people who aren't part of church life. Uh, it's my job when, when they come to me to uh, explain what the baptismal promises are. It's my job to explain this is what Jesus does. It's my job to explain this is what it might mean if you committed to these promises and you actually you know, promised to raise your child to, to live as Christ's faithful servant to the their very end of their life. That's what it looks like. Now, it's a massive relief for me knowing that all God wants me to be is faithful. It's not up to me to decide the response for them it's not for me to decide whether or not they should make those promises that's their call my responsibility is just make it clear to them yeah god doesn't expect you to make anyone else a christian not your neighbor not your friend not your colleague but when you know how he works you will give his word to anyone and everyone you'll scatter so generously you'll be faithful and if you're listening ears, you'll be patient you know these parables uh, drive home that the glorious outcomes come from humble beginnings. Uh, I was involved uh, in a ministry at New South Wales Uni uh, for some time. Uh, I particularly had um, uh, some responsibility for uh, the Christian group in three, uh, the three non-religious residential colleges at UNSW, the Kensington Colleges. Uh, so there are over 400 students there. Uh, there are about 10 who are part of the Christian group. I actually think I might be exaggerating that 10. Um, <laughs> you know, it was small. 
Uh, years later, a bloke that I had uh, met with and uh, for a semester we read Romans together, uh, he wrote to me uh, saying uh, how when we did it that semester years ago, um, he was really confronted by the Bible. Uh, they didn't actually really enjoy it at all. <laughs> but now, uh, for him, years later, as a committed Christian, he appreciated it. Okay? It wasn't glamorous, and that ministry certainly wasn't glamorous, but, but God's kingdom grows in patient persistence. You know, these parables are a great encouragement for ministry where it seems like the Spirit's on holidays. You know, if you've listening ears, you're patient. If you're listening ears, you'll be ready. Uh, the reaping of verse 29 implies a judgment. Uh, it echoes Joel, Joel 3. The nations come and are gathered before the Lord in judgment uh, and for judgment. Uh, Joel 3.13 says, Swing the sickle, the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes. The wine presses full, the vats overflow. So great is their wickedness. You know, the glory of the kingdom will be revealed, but only the fruitful will be able to delight in it. And those with listening ears are ready at any moment for that harvest. Now, even more, if you've got listening ears, you're confident. Now, Jesus tells these parables knowing that, yeah, there's growing opposition. Knowing that in due course he will be rejected and he will be abandoned and he will be falsely tried and he will be cursed and people will kill him. But there will be ultimate victory. See, in the UK at the moment, uh, a committee of um, MPs and peers concluded that uh, Britain is failing to protect the rights of Christians in the workplace and public life. This was a government report. Uh, I suspect Australia is not particularly far off. Uh, in another uh, report, the director of the BBC uh, conceded that Christians get tougher treatment uh, and he explained why. They get tougher treatment because their complaints are different. To quote him, he goes, uh, without question, um, I complain in the strongest possible terms is different from I complain in the strongest possible terms and I am loading my AK-47 as I write. That definitely raises the stakes. That is, they get a different treatment because of the, the, the way they might react. Uh, but just as some seed will find good soil, just as grain grows without a farmer's knowledge, just as a mustard seed will certainly go from minuscule to magnificent, we have confidence that God's glorious kingdom will come. You know, Jesus teaches truth about long-term glory and that's going to divide a crowd who are just itching for the quick fix here and now. You know, he's a great teacher because he teaches what serves us, not what feeds his ego. Because it may be you hear about what long-term glory and even you are put off as you gather here this morning by the shore to hear Jesus speak. But he says what's true because that's what helps us. But he goes further. He, he cuts more deeply as a teacher. You know, Jesus teaches the truth, our second point, he teaches the truth about us. That not all who warm to Jesus are actually in his kingdom. He doesn't just teach in parables to explain the kingdom. He does it to clarify where you stand. So in teaching, Christ tests. Parables, the way they're written, uh, the way they work, they, they force a, a kind of crisis. You've got to ask yourself the question, do I really understand them? And maybe you had that experience as we were reading through it earlier. And you kind of go, I think I get it, but I, I just... You know, parables are great teaching tools. You know, they, they don't just kind of, you know, like a good illustration, take a, an abstract 
thought and put it into a concrete everyday situation. You've got, you've got to remember, Jesus is a master teacher. Um, living in the 21st century, we, we might forget Jesus was actually doing profound truths about the, you know, the holy, invisible God by talking about you know, an everyday incident at the office. Uh, we're not particularly farming folk and we might miss that. But, but parables do even more. They divide the crowd from insiders who get it and outsiders who don't. Uh, again, verse 11 and 12. You know, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing, never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. I've got to be a careful listener at this point. Jesus is quoting Isaiah as a commentary on the crowd. So in Isaiah's time, God used this faithful, clear-speaking prophet to explain God's word to Israel. He has commissioned, you know, you go and take my word plainly until judgment comes, but here's the thing, Israel won't understand and won't repent. It's an ironic statement, it drips with irony. That is, God wasn't keeping anything secret from his people, but the more he told them of the truth, the more it confirmed them in rejection. He didn't harden their hearts by keeping them ignorant. He hardened their hearts by explaining to them the truth that they didn't want to hear. And it's the same in Jesus' day. He speaks parables. Yes, they reveal truth. He's not doing them parables to kind of torment people. he, He clearly doesn't want to permanently exclude people from the kingdom of God. If he did, he wouldn't have come preaching the kingdom. He wouldn't have gone traveling from village to village to try and call more sinners. If he wanted to torment people and keep them away, he wouldn't have been there giving the disciples insiders account that we get to read here and now. Jesus' ministry is all about inviting outsiders in. In verse 33, the end of the chapter, or the end of the section, he teaches in parables as much as they can understand. He teaches in parables by these little stories to help you work out where do you stand. The more some of the crowd hear Jesus teach, the clearer it becomes they're not actually on his side because parables force a crisis. Are we going to listen to this story, understand it the way Jesus explains? Are we going to hear him or are we going to harden ourselves to him? There's a big emphasis in this section all about hearing. Uh, The verb to hear is there 13 times in this chapter. I won't give you all 13 instances. You can, that can be your little game later on, trying to find them all. Uh, Jesus' call to careful listening is, is what it's all about. Verse 21 to, to 25, the lamp and the measure. You know, the lamp has come purposefully to illuminate. Jesus has come that you might know him, not remain unknown. But the measure that you use defines how much you receive, i.e. the way you listen to him affects whether you'll get to hear more or not. You know, those who measure Jesus harshly, who dismiss him as though he's evil like the Pharisees or insane like his family or simply a wonder worker like much of the crowd, they won't get anything more from Jesus. But those who are willing to listen to him on his terms, uh, listening to parables according to his interpretation, they will be blessed with an even greater understanding. Yet Jesus is a teacher who divides not just by what he tells about the kingdom, but what he says about us, that not all who warm to Jesus are in the kingdom. Again, he seems to be doing what's countercultural, countersensible to church growth. But he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because what Jesus is doing this morning is putting you in a crisis. By teaching in parables, he's trying to get you to think, what kind of listener are you? 
Do you really hear him? Three signs of good teaching that will help you work that out. First, good listening requires humility. Are you a humble listener? You know, he explains his parables in verse 11. He gives the secret of the kingdom away, but you've got to measure well. You know, a good listener will accept what Jesus says, and unless you listen with Jesus' interpretation, you'll get nowhere. You can't understand, you can't be saved, you can't be part of the kingdom. Outsiders might hear, but their pride and refusal to listen humbly means that they're actually stuck on the outside. You know, they don't see God at work ultimately in, his, in Jesus' miracles or teaching or his death. You know, let's be honest, life in modern Sydney means we've got no shortage of ways to hear Jesus speak to us. Now, Kurong Bookstore, you know, if you don't know it, it's kind of a massive bookstore where you can buy pretty much everything under the sun that's ever been printed, it seems, about Christianity. Uh, they, they say they've got 150,000 products that you can order online and they'll deliver to your door. Uh, you know, we, we can download apps for daily Bible reading. Um, you can listen to sermons from the best preachers of the world and, in fact, you can listen to them at your convenience. You don't even have to kind of give up a Sunday morning. You can just kind of do it while you're jogging and just down... You know, it doesn't have to cut into your lifestyle. We have so many opportunities to hear the words of Jesus. We run the risk of being connoisseurs. You know, with all the options, we can avoid humbly sitting under what Jesus is saying to us uh, as we sit over and judge the packaging and say, was that up to scratch? Here's one person's confession. I realised very early on that the best way to avoid being impacted by a sermon was to analyse it. I knew if I could pretend I was there to study it and dissect it from the outside, I could save myself all the hassle of actually learning and applying the message to my life. You know, be careful the measure you use. Good listening requires humility, a willingness to change and accept what Jesus says. Are you a good listener? A good, a good listener puts in effort. Now, Jesus teaches in parables for a reason. It, it makes us active, not passive listeners. Uh, not all the explanations are recorded, so you have to actually think. You know, parables require you to engage your imagination and investigate and discover, um, and it gets rid of the indifferent. They just give up and walk away from Jesus. And Jesus expects some of the soils, some of those in the crowds, won't go to any effort. They will just walk away. They won't actually listen. That early joy will, will be stolen by Satan or torn out by hardship or, or crowded by comfort. You know, a good listener strives to know what Jesus is saying to them in their situation now. Uh, an article pointed out that uh, if 30 verses of the Bible are read weekly at a church service and you made it every week and that passage was never repeated, it would take 20 years for you to hear the Bible read. Now add that to a, a, a UK statistic that amongst evangelical Christians, uh, 20% don't open their Bibles apart from a Sunday. It'll take some discipline, it'll take some effort beyond this morning if you want to listen to Jesus. You know, a good listener strives to know what Jesus meant as well as what he said. Uh, you know, they reflect upon it. You know, what does this word mean for my life? Uh, someone told me uh, recently they kind of planned a Bible reading. They read the Bible in the morning and after reading a section of it, uh, they kind of pick a key verse, a particularly powerful verse, and they're praying over it that they might do it. Then they set their watch alarm. And so that at midday, uh, the alarm goes off and they have that just for themselves 
to remind them what the key verse was. And they kind of go back over it and remember and they go, wonder how I've been going for the last kind of four or five hours actually trying to live that verse out. Now, a good listener puts in effort. But ultimately, you'll know you're a good listener because it'll be seen in your fruit. And 4 verse 20, those sown in good soil produce 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. They will have a life that more closely resembles Jesus. And that's the sign someone actually really listens to him. You know, as someone said, to be without fruit is to be on the way to hell. Not everyone is a good listener. Even amongst us today, uh, statistics and Jesus' words suggest that we aren't all sown in the good soil. So watch your life. Make sure you're bearing fruit. If your non-Christian friends can't see a difference in your life from theirs, watch out. Now Jesus is a great teacher, not because he's popular. He's a great teacher, not because lots of people would agree on the street even today going, yeah, Jesus is a good moral teacher, good bloke. He's a great teacher because he teaches to serve. He divides. He says the things we need to hear about the kingdom and our hearts. Because in his teaching, he is testing us. He's great because he doesn't love himself so much that he he wants a crowd of hangers-on. He loves us enough that he wants to make that divide and clarify just where you stand with him. Let's give thanks and pray that we'll be good hearers. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way that he teaches of your kingdom, for the glory that is to come, and we pray that you would make us patient and faithful, ready and fruitful as we wait for that kingdom to come. But even more, Father, we pray that we would be people uh, who are seen to be good listeners of Jesus, that we don't just flock to him because he says the things we want to hear, but we would be people who hear him and obey what he says. Father, give us ears to hear exactly what he is saying to us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.